1: folks this is a fundraising pitch Uh, you might have noticed that the show's been on hiatus for about the last six months okay why well I've been producing the Korea file ad free for the last three years that's 68 episodes and it takes a lot of time and effort to track down interviews research edit and produce the show of course I got to work to pay the rent which doesn't leave a lot of time to focus on the podcast so I'm wondering Is it possible to turn this into a part-time job? Maybe, but I need your help. Go to patreon.com slash thekoreafile and throw me a few dollars a month for the price of a cup of coffee at Tom and Tom's for the cost of a sandwich at Isaac Toast. You can help turn this podcast into a sustainable project and patrons get perks. For an ongoing donation of just $4 a month, you'll have access to extra content that you won't find Anywhere else online, including bonus interviews and special subscriber-only episodes. If you can afford to contribute a little more every month, $10 donation gets you exclusive VIP access to information about upcoming guests and the opportunity to submit questions for future episodes, a kind of executive producer position. But hey, every dollar helps a lot, and listeners like you can help to sustain this podcast. So if you can contribute, again go to patreon.com slash the Korea file and donate a few bucks. Thanks. All right, here's the episode. podcasting from Montreal, this is The Korea File, a bi-weekly podcast about music, culture, and society around the Korean Peninsula and the world. I'm Andre Goulet. <laughs> on this episode. What's it like to work on an archaeological excavation in Gyeongju? Born in Seoul and raised in the United States, Rachel Lee's first dig in the historical capital of the Sheila dynasty was also her first visit to her country of origin. Join us for a conversation about the differences between household and mortuary archaeology, popular misconceptions of the swashbuckling Indiana Jones-style archaeologist, and a description of a typical archaeological research trip in Korea. This is the second of a two-part interview. So when did you first become interested in archaeology? And is the life of an archaeologist what you imagined it would be?
0: To answer your first question, when did I want to be an archaeologist? Uh, I've always wanted to be an archaeologist since I was a little girl. Really? Uh, yeah. How, I, did that,
1: how did that play out when you were a kid?
0: So I was very into documentaries on, you know, classical like archaeology. So that was my first exposure to what archaeology was. I would watch um, documentaries on Pompeii, and I was like, wow, that's really fascinating. That we can still uh, recover things that were so old, and I also uh, read National Geographic a lot, so I was exposed to it as a child, and it was always something that I wanted to do, among other things. But it was in high school when I really wanted to be an archaeologist. So um, I went into college with uh, with plans to major in anthropology, which in America archaeology is a subdiscipline of anthropology.
1: Is it what you imagined it would be as a kid or as a high school student? Is it what you dreamed of?
0: Both, because yes, um, I I think archaeology is exciting because you're discovering. You're just constantly discovering things. But at the same time, I didn't realize it was such hard work. Like, I knew it was going to be hard work, but it's not always, you know, the fun stuff that you imagine it to be. It's very um, rigorous physically and mentally. So, I'm working under the sun, and this is, you know, all archaeologists. We often work during the summer, so it's very hot. It's um, eight plus hours a day of physical exertion, and then you have to think the whole time. You're thinking, like, what what is this pattern I'm seeing? What is this thing that I'm digging? How does this fit into the general framework, the theoretical framework that we have? So it's both physically and mentally exhausting, it could be, yeah.
1: You're finishing your graduate studies at the University of Michigan, right? Yes. Am I correct in saying that this university has a historical reputation for archaeological research?
0: It certainly does. We have a very um, stellar faculty, and they were very... A lot of them were key in some of the movements that we've had, like um, intellectual movements that we had in archaeology. And um, a lot of good, um, really great scholarship has come out of Michigan.
1: The romanticized notion of archaeology is a little bit Indiana Jones, a little bit Tomb Raider. How inaccurate are these characterizations in terms of what you guys really do? Um,
0: Well, if you're gonna go into archaeology based on those movies, then you're gonna be sorely disappointed because we're not, I guess, um, we're not treasure hunters, right? So we're not always finding the things that you would typically find in a museum of art. So the things that we dig up, sometimes um, somebody might consider quite ugly, but to us, it's fascinating. So even a plain piece of ceramic with... um, you know, a broken piece of ceramic would, will tell us something interesting um, that we're trying to figure out. But to the layman expecting, you know, valuable objects, beautiful things, um, it, it might not mean much. So it's quite different. But I think the excitement is is there. You know, so when you see these movies, um, they kind of impose a sense of wow. The exotic right and although um, you know we're not being chased by anything and we're not finding the prettiest objects all the time but i think uh, most archaeologists would agree that we find our work really exciting and that's the reason why we keep doing it
1: you've excavated in greater jinju with your new moon research yes um where else have you excavated
0: i've excavated in gyeongju um, which is to the east of Jinju.
1: And Gyeongju is really famous for being like the seat of royalty for the Shila dynasty. Of course. Um, so were you also doing household research?
0: No, I was digging uh, tombs in Gyeongju. It's um, it's really, if you're into mortuary archaeology, Gyeongju is the place to go because you have very elaborate Wonderful tombs that you can excavate.
1: So mortuary archaeology in Gyeongju. This, these are the hill tombs that we yes. see everywhere. Yes. So what's that like to go investigate something like that? Like you dig a hole in and just gain access and sure. peek around.
0: It was actually my first excavation in Korea because prior to <coughs> my Gyeongju excavation, um, I wasn't. I, I never actually stepped inside the country of Korea. Um, you know, I was born there, but. I immigrated to the U.S. as a baby, so um, Gyeongju was my first experience in both Korea as well as uh, Korean archaeology. So it was, you know, it was like the greatest intro- introduction that you could have because I was in such an important city um, for the Korean culture, for for archaeology, so it was wonderful to be able to, to excavate. Um, Elite tombs it was uh, we found great, beautiful objects, a lot of uh, beautiful pottery, and that was very exciting for me.
1: How does mortuary archaeology compare to household ex- excavation?
0: mortuary archaeology is um, concerned with graves, tombs and cremation. In Korea, particularly, you get, you know, graves of commoners and you get graves of elites. So if you're going to be excavating in Gyeongju, chances are you're going to be excavating um, elite tombs. Of course, there are non-elite tombs, too, but um, a lot of the excavation opportunities are um, at these large, mounded tombs. Um, Household archaeology in Korea... Once again, you have rich households and you have um, common, typical households, uh, but um, we're not targeting, you know, for instance, tombs. You can clearly see which are the the best tombs, you know, the best as in the wealthiest because they're big, and they protrude from the landscape. Uh, whereas with household archaeology, it it's not as self-evident from the beginning. Of course, you're gonna, you know, find house, houses that are uh, quite well off, but you're also going to find mostly households or houses that were um, more average or you know not not as well off.
1: You've also worked on excavations or surveys in China.
0: Yeah, so in China, um, I'm on a team directed by um, a professor at UCLA named Li Min, and uh, we were doing a survey project. So surveys are different from excavation, so we're not actually excavating or digging anything, but it's still archaeological work because we're um, doing what we call a systematic survey. So we lay out grids of where we're going to walk, and so we walk typically in um, a line, and we pick up or we document what we find in that line that we designate. So, you know, the line can uh, range from, you know, 10 meters to however long 30 meters or whatever and we walk that line and then we find typically where we're working in China which is Chufu in Shandong province we find lots of ceramics and so if there's a ceramic from a particular period then we can use that evidence the ceramic shard as evidence for um, occupation during that period.
1: What kind of shards are they are they just sort of run-of-the-mill clay is it something is anything special or is it just like a bunch of junk left behind that's been tilled up like in a farmer's field
0: you get everything so you can get earthenware which are usually the earliest pottery Um, and those you know they can be elaborately decorated um, with like cord marks but um, you know they're not going to be i guess quality wise they're not as um, well made as porcelain and so porcelain um, are you know, very beautiful blue and white pottery, and so we get the whole uh, spectrum of things. Um, so in that sense, um, you, know, you, get, you, can, you can get a snapshot of all the different period in which people um, were living there.
1: So it's different in the sense that in Korea, you excavate, in China, you survey. What else was different between the two experiences?
0: Um, I guess, archaeologically, um, in China, because we're not actually digging, we're able to work with a larger piece of land. So a larger piece of land in a fast, relatively fast amount of time. So you get a broader view of how things were. Um, and that, that's very valuable because, um, you know, the, the more horizontal view is, um, can answer specific questions. In Korea, we're excavating, and of course we can excavate, you know, a large piece of land, but it takes longer and it's um, immediately, you get more of a vertical view, right? So you are digging down rather than across. Um, so you get a lot more detail in terms of what you're working with, in terms of the archaeological remains. Um, So you sort of trade off one for the other.
1: Tell me about a typical research trip to Korea. I just want to kind of imagine what it's like. You land in Incheon, then do you take the KTX down to Gyeongju or Jinju? Uh, Where do you stay? Um, What's your daily work like? Is it 9 to 5? Just tell me a little bit, like, the length of the trip.
0: So I land in, in Seoul, in Incheon, and um, the, the project that I've most frequently been on is located in Jinju. So you know, after a day of uh, recuperating from, the, from the, the airplane, the jet yeah. lag, I spend typically a night in Incheon. And then I take the bus, the intercity bus, mm-hmm. to Jinju, straight to Jinju. There's a direct connection from, from the airport to yeah. Jinju. Yeah so i go to jinju and depending on the year um there could be a what we say in archaeology a dig house which is where like you know some or all of the excavation team members live so we'll you know have a house and people will occupy different rooms and we share you know the common area so i'll either go there and i'll live with them or um, most recently i've been living in these motels, um, where it's, you know, it's relatively cheap. It's like $50, 51 a yeah. night.
1: Yeah, kind of like trashy love motels or just sort of yes. off-brand motels. But yes. backing up a sec, when you're taking that bus down mm-hmm. after getting off the plane and recuperating for a night, what are you thinking about when you're looking out the window and, and on your way to the to the dig house or to the hotel?
0: Yeah, when I'm on the bus going to Chinju, for example... I have usually you know, a lot of things that I am considering in my head because when um, it's, you know, I'm thinking about what I need to accomplish, what I need to talk to people about, it's um, a lot of logistical things because excavation is complicated in that it involves a lot of people. And I'm not, I'm not um, part of the actual team that I work with, you know, they're employed. Whereas I'm not employed. I'm coming um, with their gener- generosity. I'm, I'm being allowed to to dig with them. So um, so it's, it's more complicated. So I'm kind of figuring out who I need to talk to. And if I have all my equipment, you know, sometimes I I forget my trowel or something like that. And I'll have to go to um, like an e-mart or something and pick up like foil or things that I need to to excavate
1: so what's a typical day look like how early does it start
0: it starts around between eight or nine that's when um, the site opens and we have breaks between meals so between you know the start of the day we'll have a uh, between the start of the day and lunch we'll have a break and then we'll have lunch at noon and then we'll have like two more breaks in the afternoon and then we'll end typically at five o'clock and then everyone just goes home after that except you know, I go to my hotel room or, not hotel room, I go to my motel room and everyone goes to where they live
1: is it like grueling work or is it work that's so exciting that you're just sort of like propelled through the day
0: both, sometimes it's sometimes it can get kind of um, grueling in the sense that there's not much mental stimulation because you're digging up the same thing over and over again but then once in a while you'll Dig up something that's really meaningful for you as as an archaeologist. Um, so something that will help you answer some of your research questions, and then it it gets really exciting. And then you're um, you're propelled by that discovery that you make, and you know it gives you the energy to keep going. <laughs>
1: that's the Korea File for this week you can find new episodes of the Korea File on itunes and stitcher and as a featured contributor at koreafm.net koreabridge.net blogtalkradio.org and anglo info seoul all of whom you should really like on facebook and if you like what you hear like us on facebook too also please leave a review of the show wherever you subscribe it'll help new listeners discover the show five stars is good we're also on Twitter with daily links and information about the peninsula at The Korea File. Music on this episode is from Yi Se-jin with her 1978 single, Sulpo Mao. And tune in on May 11th for the first of a two-part conversation with academic Michael Prentiss about his undercover research at a South Korean corporation as we go inside the chaebol. Until then, thanks for listening. From Montreal, I'm Andre Gulet. Cheating.